0: And let's read from Ephesians chapter 6. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, help us to hang on every word, not in every word that I say, but every word that you say. You'll say different things to different people in this room, Lord God, but I pray that we would be, each one would be sensitive to what you are saying to us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Okay. We are in a war. We're we're at war. Uh, The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Uh, Your your enemy, the devil, your enemy, the devil, is going about like a, a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The day of evil is coming. We're in a war. And so therefore, we've been enjoined to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power, and to put on the full armor of God. Now, normally when, uh, when we teach about the full armor of God, uh, normally it's usually, I don't know, three-week series, six-week series, whatever like that. This, this week, in talking about the armor specifically, now last week was about the armor of God, and next week's still going to be about it, but these elements of it, this week is, we're going to take one week to do it, and we're going to do that because we have tiny little attention spans these days. And uh, But it doesn't mean that you know, you're know you not going to get a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff going to be coming out today. Uh, and listen to what the Lord has to say to you. And, and that's, yeah, that's a thing. I'll get into that a little bit more later. So let's, let's, let's jump right into it, shall we? If we're going to put on the full armor of God, what are we talking about? Well, the belt of truth. Everything starts... With truth, as I've told you on numerous occasions, um, the difference between truth and facts, uh, facts change, truth doesn't. Uh, Another way to say that, truth is to facts as concrete is to, wait for it, Plato. They both can form things. But one of them is very easily changed, and one of them uh, is going to last for a little while once it's formed. Where this analogy falls down is that that concrete doesn't last as long as truth, because it'll ultimately wear away as well. Truth stands forever. Um, So the next question, and let me just say one other thing as well, because sometimes people get these two confused. Uh, Not only are truth and facts different, truth and honesty are different. You can be honest and not anywhere, be anywhere close to the truth. Okay. So just because you're honest about something doesn't necessarily mean you're speaking truth. So, uh, just, just, uh, just an important safety tip there. Uh, the next question would be, do you believe in truth? Uh, a lot of people don't believe that truth even exists. Uh, I, I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious. You know, I mean, we have that term, we have that word, but that was something that people used to believe in. You know, nowadays it's it kind of, everything is such a moving target that we, uh, that we tend to think that maybe it isn't out there. But let's get philosophical for a moment, okay? Uh, if truth doesn't exist, then you can't know anything. Because everything you know will change. And what you know today is wrong tomorrow. So, truth is a pretty important thing. If you do believe in truth, then what is it? How, how, do you, how, how do you find it? Well, you don't find it in today's secular discourse. In fact, you rarely find honesty in today's secular discourse. And you almost, uh, and the facts that you find in today's secular discourse are pretty slippery when well, you get right down to it. Uh, so, that's not me where it can be found. However, for Christians, was that me? I'm hot. Uh, However, for Christians, uh, truth is actually, it, 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 how to find it's pretty easy. When Jesus stood before Pilate, uh, Jesus said to him, everyone who is on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate you know, responded, well, what is truth? Well, Jesus just told him, hello. <laughs> everyone who's on the side of truth listens to me. Now, this doesn't mean that uh, being on the side of truth means that you wear the right T-shirt or that you have the right bumper sticker, or that you even got the right tattoo when it gets down to it. Uh, Isaac and I had lunch this week with my, uh, with my cousin. Uh, actually, he's my first cousin once removed. He's Isaac's second cousin. Pastor's down in Hohenwall. Billy, Billy Jr., Billy Meek Jr., and he brought his son, Billy Third Jr., Who's about Isaac's age, and it was great. It was East beats West. I mean, it, it really was terrific because Billy Third had a had a tattoo on his on his. Uh, it was just so cool. He had a tattoo on his on his arm up here on his shoulder. Raised up. It was red, white, and blue, and it said Bubba, and uh, and and Isaac had you know his man bun and and you know and and the Lulu stuff going and all that kind of thing. And, it was, it was great. One of the highlights of the, of the, of the lunch was when, was when Billy and Billy looked at us and said, you guys don't do much hunting and fishing, do you? <laughs> yeah. But truth isn't about what you have emblazoned on the front of your shirt. Truth is about listening to Jesus and listening to Jesus for you. So often we listen to Jesus for Jesse. Or we listen to Jesus for Valerie. Or we listen to Jesus for the person who lives across the street from us. He's not going to tell you anything about them. Because you can't handle it. You can't handle the truth. (laughs) He's going to tell you about you. And so we listen to Jesus to hear what he has to say about me uh, or about, about my life. And then later, well over in John 17, and actually I've got this wrong because it's not 17, 17. It's probably 17, three, four, somewhere around in there. Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Word of God is truth. Some have uh, brought discredit on the word of truth by imposing their own ideas and what the Bible actually says, and passing it off as "this is what the Bible says." No, it's what I it's what it's what I think about what the Bible says. You know, just because it'll preach doesn't mean it's truth. There are a lot of things that'll preach that aren't necessarily that aren't necessarily truth. But if you'll just simply let the Bible say to you. What it says to you. you Said well, there's some things in the Bible where you kind of know, well, some people think it means that. Some people think it means that. What is God saying to you? What does the Holy Spirit say to you when you read it? And if you'll do that, it, it will protect you. It will become, uh, as, as the psalmist says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. And you'll notice it doesn't say that it is a lamp for your neighbor's feet or a lamp for your neighbor's path, or a lamp for your husband's, or your wives, or, or your parents. It's a lamp for yours. It's a lamp for mine. And if, and if you'll do that, then, then you won't be deceived by the obvious sins that destroy. You won't be deceived. You may still do them, but you'll do them with your eyes open. You'll know I'm doing something that's bad for my life. You won't be deceived by greed. You won't be deceived by, by, by immorality. And let me, let me say sexual immorality. Because usually when we say immorality, we automatically attach sexual to it. There's a lot more immorality other than, just, other than just sexual immorality. You know, sexual immorality may be your problem. Greed immorality may be your problem. In fact, I think probably on a national level, that's the biggest one we got. It's probably greed immorality. Uh, lying, theft rebellion, those things, your eyes will be open because the Word of God will protect you. And you'll not be led astray by clever arguments. That's one of the greatest dangers in the last days, except truth of matter is, in our culture, they don't even have to be clever anymore. They, they can kind of be dumb arguments, and we'll still fall for them. Get right down to it. I mean, you know, that's why talk radio is so popular. Uh, but anyway, truth... Truth is where everything starts. That's, that's the beginning. And then uh, the, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, righteousness is just a big old religious word that literally means right with God. That's, that's what it means. And God is the only one that matters. It's really the only one that counts when you get right down to it. Uh, because everything he does is right. And he's right in all of his ways. It's not just because he's... He's the strongest one and he's the judge and if he don't like you you're going to be no it's because everything he does is right and just and true and he's righteous in all of his ways. Hosea 14:9 says, "Who is wise, who's discerning, let them understand. Let them realize these things. The ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous walk in them. But the rebellious stumble in them." So, how do you become righteous? how do you become without guilt before god well there are two ways to deal with guilt uh, and one of those ways is you can deny it you can just deny it and there are two ways to deny guilt one of them is to go me i, I, I didn't do anything you know no uh uh-uh. no it wasn't me you know i didn't do that yeah uh and we all do that from time to time. I mean, you know, let's just. And and the problem is that if we do it with other people enough, we'll end up doing it with ourselves. But the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In fact, over in First John uh, uh, chapter one, verses uh, let's see, eight and ten. Both of them say that if we claim to be without sin, we're looking at God and going, You lie. And his word has no place in our lives. And so, you know, we can we can claim I, I haven't done anything. Or we can, we can claim that there's no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as wrong. There's no such thing as guilt. Yeah. When you uh, when when you get right down to it, uh If there's no such thing as sin, then there's no such thing as truth. Because it means there's no absolutes anywhere. And you're right back to where you can't really know anything. Let me, let me just say something. I want to I back up because I didn't get this in. Uh, when we go, I, I didn't do anything. It's a, it's a sign of maturity. Whenever we get to the place where we go, yeah, I did it. It's a sign of maturity when we don't have to defend any time we get busted. It's a sign of maturity where we can just go, yeah, I was wrong, wasn't I? Yeah, it, it's, it's immature to, to go the other way. So anyway, yeah, you can, you can, um, uh, you can deal with, uh, with your guilt by denying that you did anything wrong. You can deal with it by denying that there is such a thing as wrong. Or, or you can be absolved from your guilt. Christ died on the cross because we're guilty. Now, he, he went to the cross because his father told him to. He died on the cross because we're guilty. You see, some, here, here are two truths. We're guilty. God is righteous and holy. And something had to be done so that guilty people could come into the presence of God and a righteous, holy, right in all he does God could say, not guilty. And that's what the cross was. That's, that's what that was. That's, that's why that happened. He he died because we're guilty, but his, his sacrifice is greater than our guilt. And oftentimes we get, you, you know, we get to places where we go. Well, you know, I, I, I'm done. It. I'm I'm done now. I'm past it now. I've I've come back too many times and asked for forgiveness for that. No, you you're not that big. You're you're not that strong, and the stuff that you've done is not that big. The the cross is stronger than all of these things. Understand the righteousness you have, and it will defend you. And I'm not saying it will defend you in in a sense that you kind of go, oh, well, I just don't feel guilty about anything. No, no, it will defend you. You, you. You still need to do right, but when you do wrong, it won't destroy you. And not only that. There are camps of Christianity that really love to focus in on guilt, really love to just bring it home. You know, guilt. You know, I, I, didn't, I grew up in um, the Sumner County equivalent of Hohenwald. I, I grew, up, grew up in Millersville, and, uh, you know, so we didn't, we didn't have any Catholics there, and so it was older before, I was older before I learned that, you know, Catholics grew up with a lot of guilt, you know, kind of piled on from stuff, and, uh, you know... But I I thought it was us who grew up with all the guilt. I can't tell you how many times I got saved. (laughs) Because I don't know, I lost count somewhere along the way. You know, I think God stopped counting at one. okay it was it was good but but you know I just had to I kept coming and kept coming and kept coming and you know and there there are places there there are pockets of Christianity that you know people go man well I went to that church that preacher wasn't any good how do you why wasn't any good because I left feeling good if I don't leave with something hurting then the preacher hadn't done anything that day you know no, 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 no. I mean, uh, let the whole, I, I let the Holy Spirit convict you of your guilt. As a matter of fact, you, most, people, <clears throat> most people don't have a problem feeling guilty. They just do. They, they just go with it. Uh, and and i let the Holy Spirit point out things in people's lives that it needs to point out. But here's the thing. If you feel guilty, you've heard, you've heard the, uh, the, the phrase, hurt people hurt people? Guilty people accuse people. That is good. Yeah, glad somebody said that. <laughs> guilty people accuse people. You get right down to it. forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. And if I'm walking around going, "Oh man, I just I'm just so guilty," then I can't forgive you because I I don't I don't have I don't have that I don't have that power working in my life yet. But if I realize that, hey for freedom I've been set free, and yes, I'm free indeed, then I can begin to extend grace and mercy and forgiveness to other people. I can, I can look at them, do something dumb, and go, well, I just did something dumb. God love them. He loved me. He, he forgave me a dumb stuff. And he will then too. Okay, i got to move on. Oh, boy, you're going to like this one. Peace. We can see the problem with Islam claiming to be a peaceful religion in spite of all the violence that's done. So I kind of go, there's a, there's a thing that doesn't match up there. And if we were closer to the situation, we're so far away from the situation that we don't really know. But if we were like in India or Pakistan, that part of the world, we could, we could apply the same thing to Hinduism because they, they can get pretty violent at times as well but we're so close to our situation that we don't see that the pot is calling the kettle black. There has never been a president in the history of our country, of our Christian nation that has had administration that wasn't at war. Maybe not the whole time, but, but part of the time. And the reason is because... We're part of the world. The whole world's at war. You get right down to it, it. It is that way. But we're part of a kingdom that is different, that does things differently. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Now, I'm not saying that there's never a need to use force to protect or to resolve a situation. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. I'm not, uh, I, I'm not a pacifist when you get right down to it. I have, uh, I, of course, they're older now, so it's not that big a deal. But I have daughters, and they dated boys when they were teenagers. I am not a pacifist. <laughs> and I don't think that he should be quite frankly, and, I, and I'm honest about that. But I'm saying we tend to make force our first resort. It's our, I don't have to take care of that. And that's, this is part of our armor. The, the only time Jesus used physical force uh, was in the case where the worship of God was being called into disrepute by the greed of men. Same thing happened in the Old Testament with Eli's sons, Hophni and Phineas. They were bringing the word of God into disrepute. God killed them. I mean, they bring the worship of God into disrepute. The only time Jesus used physical force was when, was when, when that was happening. I, I, I haven't been making a big deal out of the you know, belt and breastplate and which parts of the body. But this one is so odd because I don't generally think of, of shoes as part of the armor. We get right down to it, and when i ten years ago I, I went through this series, and when i when I hit on this particular uh, piece of the equipment i i I focused on the peace that God gives us, the peace that passes understanding, having peace in our hearts, and how that 'll guard us. But as I looked at it this time, I went you know i don 't know about that because uh Shoes aren't usually put on. When when I have peace, I usually don't want to go anywhere. I just want to stay where I am. And you don't usually put on your shoes to stay where you are. You usually put on your shoes to go someplace. And it says here, with your feet fitted with the readiness. I don't have to get ready to stay where I am. Have to get ready to go someplace with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace we've got we 've got a gospel to take to the world to take to people that is is something that is so alien to what they know because the whole world is in, in you know when I said that we 've never had a president that that didn 't have war during his administration, that means that during That there's never been a time in the world that there wasn't war going on. during, And there probably never has been, quite frankly. And I'm not just talking about administrations. I'm talking about a week. There's probably never been maybe even a day where there's been peace and not been warfare. And we have this wonderful gospel of peace that God has given to us. He says, you know, shod your feet, get, get ready to go out and be eager to use it. Let's move on to the shield of faith. Used to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. There is an evil one. He has flaming arrows. He's shooting them at you. I use the word Christianity, but I prefer saying the faith because it uh, it, it more accurately reflects, I think, what we're all about. You know, when, when you say someone... Uh, was joined to Christianity, that kinda, that's kind of like, you know, joining a club or something. But when you say the faith, then that puts some onus on me. Something had to happen in them to be able to, to start walking this way. The Christian faith is perfectly logical. It, it's absolutely defensible. I'll tell you that right now. But it starts with, and it requires faith. It requires, I believe, something that's invisible. You know, a lot of people, even among Christians, they'll say, Well, seeing is believing. No. Seeing is seeing. Believing is believing. Saying, seeing is believing is like saying red is milk. They're not even the same thing. There's, 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 there's no way that they, that they join together. Uh, and and we, what we see may, may deceive us. I mean, we know, we know that. Uh, especially in this day and age when we can all manipulate our photographs and 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 stuff like that, uh, but it's not just it's not just that kind of stuff. Have you ever had a friend? Friend? Have you ever had a friend who, when you were with them, when they were talking to you, it was all, "Hey, great, great to see you, buddy! Wow, you know, we're, we're I'm really on your side." And then when you didn't see them, it was. <clears throat> Ever known anybody like that? Have you people ever known anybody? (laughs) Of course you have. Was seeing believing? No. Looked one way and happened to be the other. Jesus said that false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible, and he's talking about now. He's talking about right now. That's what he's talking about. So what we see might influence what we believe, but... What we believe shouldn't necessarily be based on what we see. shouldn't be based on what we see. And in fact, what we feel is even more deceptive. You know, there are days when I don't feel saved. Just being honest here, I suspect there are some days when you don't feel saved. If there aren't, then you just don't think about it much. But there are some days when I don't feel saved. You know, there are some days when I wonder, is is God really there? But let me tell you something about atheists. And This is a dirty little atheist secret. There are days when they feel like, oh, there's a God. And so how you feel can't control or should not control what you believe. What you believe is what you have decided you believe. Now, let me, let me also say this. No one has no faith. It's not such a thing. uh, Oh, that's, that's, that's skip over verse. Yeah, let's did. Let's, let's read this. Then I'll go into that other great point I was going to make. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. No one has no faith. Uh, Those who claim to have no faith simply mean that they have have faith in something other than God. In something other than His Word. They have have faith in what they can see or in what they can feel. They have faith in what somebody told them. Whether it was their mommy and daddy or whether it was a teacher somewhere or or somebody that they saw on television. or They have faith in what they feel that 's what it boils down to, and the value of faith is directly tied to the to the worthiness of the object the faith is placed in see and, and If my faith is in what I see necessarily or in how I feel or in something that i 've heard or, or i 've thought up, it might not be worth too much. Get right down to it uh, when when you uh, let 's say you 're a football team here, and let 's say that you 're on the uh, on a 20-yard line, you got two minutes left to go in the game. you got to go 80 yards to win the game. You can put your faith in Brady and the Patriots, or you can put your faith in the, in the, in the Cleveland Browns. Do you all know football? It's, a, it's American football. Yeah. One of those, you, you might actually win the game. One of those, you ain't winning. I'm sorry. We don't even know who their quarterback is. It might be me before, the, before this year's over. I don't know who their quarterback is, so you get right down to it. <laughs> and so you can put your faith in, you know, what, what you see or and what you think, or you can you can put and you can put your faith in secular philosophy, or or you can put your faith in God, but both require faith. I put my faith in God. And and it's not just because I was raised that way it's not just because my mom and dad told me to put my faith in God although I thank God that they did that was that was important but i mean look guys this this god does stuff he he's been doing stuff he he uh, he he rescued the israelites out he out of egyptian bondage i mean there were there there was this nation called egypt and there were these people in slavery there and they got out and and there wasn't an army that, that brought them out. God brought them out. He, uh, he, he's, he split the Red Sea when the Egyptians came after them. He, he, uh, uh, and you say, well, how do you, how do you know that? Well, you know, Moses wrote that. And there were a whole bunch of people alive when he wrote that who were there. For crying out loud. I mean, you know, if he, if he writes that down and, and you got, you know, a few thousand people who, who can go, uh, I don't remember that happening. Uh, then it's not likely to make the final edit, you see. When Solomon, when Solomon dedicated the temple and he got through praying, fire fell down from heaven and, and consumed the sacrifice on the altar. And, and once again, there were, there were people there who kind of go, well, I was there, I didn't see any fire called it. But apparently it did because, because there it is, there it goes. And I'll and I tell you, he, he's a God who, who tells the end from the beginning. I'm not one of these people who, uh, uh, you know, tries to figure out, you know, uh, what 666 means and who the Antichrist is and, you know, the exact date that Christ is coming back and things like that, uh, because you can't figure that out. And those who have figured it out didn't. <laughs> but there are some things that, that, just, that are just mind-blowing, and one of them over in, over in Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 through 14, it tells about two witnesses who, who, uh, who come, apparently they come from heaven, and they're, they're in Jerusalem, and they're, and they're witnessing, they're preaching the gospel, and I think we'd probably call them terrorists today, quite frankly, uh, in today's vernacular, because anybody that opposed them, fire comes out from their mouth and destroys them. And they have the ability to shut up the heavens so that there's no rain and terrible things are and they can they can bring plagues anytime that they want to. So you know, I, I think and, and no government is going, hey, they're ours. You know, so I, I think probably all of them would, would call them terrorists. And what happens is they get killed. After after three and a half years, they get killed in in Jerusalem. And their bodies are laying on the street. And for three and a half days, they're refused burial. Nobody will bury them. And everybody's rejoicing. These guys are finally killed. They're finally gone. And here's the thing that that blows my mind, though. This was written almost 2,000 years ago. It says that in three and a half days, every person on the earth will see them will see their dead bodies laying in the street. Now, this was written at a time when it, it took weeks to get from Jerusalem to Rome. Much less three and a half days. Months to get to the east. and But the prophet is saying, yep, three and a half days, everybody's going to see them. You know, John didn't know about the internet. He didn't know about YouTube. He didn't know about C-SPAN. He didn't know about satellites or anything like that he didn't even know about airplanes or cars or something like that he just knew this is what God said to write and this is a God who tells the end from the beginning now I did not see God create the heavens and the earth but I believe that he did I did not see Jesus Christ hang on the cross but I believe that he did I did not see Jesus come up out of that tomb but I absolutely believe that he did because that's what I believe That's where my faith is. The shield of faith. The Bible says the righteous will live by faith. Where does it say that? It says it in Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, Hebrews 10.38, and it all references back to some old verse in in Hosea. So, I mean, it's pretty important. That's that's how the righteous live. They live by faith. And then, okay, got, got two more here. Uh, the helmet of salvation. What is the helmet of salvation? I, once again, you know, I, I'm not making all that big a deal out of, you know, where these pieces are except for the shoes. But the helmet, I would think, would have something to do with what you know. And so to me, the helmet of salvation is means knowing that you're saved. And saved from what? Well, no, you know, I, I've, I've said this before, but I think it's important for us to know. Oftentimes we go, well, save from sin. I, the world doesn't believe in sin. They're not interested in being saved from sin. Sin is fun. They don't want to be saved from that. Oh, no. uh, Saved from death. Now that's something they'd like to be saved from. I tell you the truth: whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, he has crossed over from death to life. Nobody wants to die. You say, uh, You say, well, you know, some people commit suicide. The people who commit suicide don't want to die. They just want the pain to stop. They, they, they just want this to end. They don't want to die. That's not what that's all about. You know, and nobody is born going, wow, I can't wait to die. No, we all want to live forever and, and have eternal life. We'd like, you know, to be in a little higher tax bracket but while, while we live, but we want to live forever and actually with no taxes. And that's, that's what the deal is. That's here. It's, it's, it's such a great thing. That's what salvation uh, now how do you know that you're saved? How do you get saved? Well, you can get all technical about salvation, but the basics are these. We believe in Christ. Yeah, there's that passage there. We're familiar with John 3, 16. God so loved the world. He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then a couple of verses later, He said, whoever believes in Him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And then in Romans, it says Christ is the end of the law for, uh, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Now, what connects all four of these verses? Yeah, believes, 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 believes. That's what connected them. And what do we believe? Well, we believe, there's three things that you need to believe. We believe that he's God's one and only son, Jesus Christ, the unique, the only, never been anybody else like him, and will never be anybody else like him. He's God's one and only begotten son. We believe that he died on the cross for our sins, and we believe that he rose from the dead. You got that? That's, that's what we believe. That's what, that's what we put our faith in. You say, yeah, and then we're supposed to, yeah. we're supposed to, because it's really stupid to not. I mean, I'm not saying it's okay to sin. I'm just saying it's, it's stupid to sin. Because it, it, it really is. I mean, that, sin will mess your life up real bad. I mean, yeah, hello. At least one person knows it besides me. <laughs> sin will mess your life up. But stopping sinning isn't how you get saved. You get saved by believing in Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from. What about those who've not heard? Well, now that was a big stumbling block for me back, back when I was, it was in my late teens and stuff. I really had a problem with that. And then I, and then I finally realized you know what? Uh, I've got a problem with that because I want to have a problem with that. It's not my problem. It's up to God. And I trust Him. I trust Him. I trust him to do what is right. I trust him to do what is just. I I trust him. If I can trust him in my life, I can trust him with the life of somebody who lived 500 years ago on the other side of the world or somebody who lives there now. This uh, this This isn't about what about them or what about her or what about him. It's about me. Do I believe this? At the uh, back end of, the, of, of John, the, the book of John, the, uh, Jesus is talking to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? You know, I love you, feed my sheep. Three times went through that. And then he was telling Peter what was going to happen to him later on. And, and John comes walking up behind them and, and, and Peter says, well, Lord, what about him? <laughs> and Jesus says, Ugh. If I want him to stay alive until I come back, what's that got to do with you? You have to follow me. And so it's not about what about those who don't believe? Or what about the ones who say they believe and yet they live terrible? Or what about what about the ones who've never heard and yet they live so great? You know what? It's not about them. It's It's about me. It's about you. What am I going to do with it? What do I believe? And then, finally, you've been issued one weapon. And that's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And and this is not the only place where the the Word is called a sword. Four times over in Revelation, uh, Christ is pictured as having a sword, and it comes out of His mouth. Uh, The Word of of God. Uh, Words are stronger than swords. Um, I mean, I know many of you have heard the phrase, the pen is mightier than the sword, because the pen writes words, and in a lot of ways that's true. But words are stronger than swords because words can do so much more. The only thing a sword can do is kill. Words can kill, but words can heal. Words can bring life. Words, words can bring hope into a situation? Uh, how many of you ever held a sword? I mean, a real honest to goodness sword. Yeah. Those things are clunky, aren't they? I mean, you pick, you pick one of them up you kind of go, when you look at it, you kind of go, ooh, a sword. Pick it up and go, ooh, a sword. You know, how in the world do people hold on to these things very long and, and, you know, fight battles and stuff with them? Uh, here's how. They did it every day. They practiced with it every day. And the ones who didn't practice with it every day (laughs) didn't last long. The ones who did practice with it every day got good. And the ones who didn't weren't. You know, Bibles uh, are real easy to come by in, in, uh, in our culture. And, and in one way, that's good. In another way, whenever we do um, financial peace, whenever we do a financial peace class, uh, the, the church um, helps augment some of the offset, some of the, uh, uh, the fee to go there. But we don't let anybody go for free. And the reason why we don't let anybody go for free is because they will go once, twice, yeah. but if they put some money into it, then they're likely to keep going. Yeah, if they got what they call skin in the game, they're likely to keep going. Uh, I play golf badly, but uh, here's the thing about golf. You know, some some people will. will uh, They'll go out and the first time they play golf, they borrow the clubs from somebody or they got some at a garage sale or something and they, you know, they go out and play golf and uh, it goes all over the place. And at some point in time, they go, you know, I want to get good at this. I want to get serious about this. And for that to happen, two things need to take place. They go out and they get them a better set of equipment. They get them a better set of clubs. Uh, but you know what? That's not enough. Just owning the most expensive study Bible on the market will not get you there. They buy a better set of clubs, and then they spend a lot of time practicing and making this better and finding out how to do this. And, and when it comes to the Word, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, you know, I've got, we've got, Margaret and I have a sword hanging In our in our bedroom to solve disputes, Uh, (laughs) no, actually it's it's never been off the wall for that reason. But uh, in fact, it was a souvenir from our our 25th anniversary, and we didn't have a dispute then either. We just thought, cool sword, let's buy it, and uh, it's up up on the wall. And for a lot of people, that's what the Word of God is in their lives—the sword of the Spirit. There it is, hanging on the wall. I got me one. There it is, sitting on the coffee table, up on the shelf. Uh, but if you come into the house, if you, if you come into my house and, and for a fight, you don't have to worry about that sword, because I don't know how to use it. It just hangs on our wall. And so for some people, that's how the Word of God is. They just got it hanging around somewhere. Others... Have 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 Bible and you know they they read they read it once. They might have read it all the way through once. You know, and that's kind of like going, well, yeah, I practiced with that sword once. Practiced a whole week one time. Better be careful. Mm-mm. There is a war going on. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Your enemy, your enemy, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The day of evil is coming. And what you must do is be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and take the full armor of God and put it on. Don't hang it on your wall. Don't put it in your closet. Wear it. Would you stand with me? Those who are going to pray with people, come forward. And if you need prayer, uh, if you'd come.